I just really don't like it when I'm not in control. I don't like it when somebody else has the hands of the steering wheel. I don't like it when I'm going through storms and I have no ability to stop it. The question that I want to talk to you today from Acts chapter 27 and 28 is what do we do when we go through the storms of life? What do we do when life is difficult and hard and the things that are around us seem to just press in and make life hard? What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? When we receive that phone call and it's not good? When we get called in by the manager and it's likely that we're going to lose our job? when we've lost someone. What do we do and what does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of our life? I want to answer this by going through chapter 27 and 28 in the book of Acts. And this book is very dear to us and you, some of you have already heard us talk about this in the CGs. But I think there are three things that this particular story and this particular passage wants to tell us and show us about what does God want us to do when we go through the storms of life. And it's the three R's. The first R is this, to remember. The second R is to respond. And the third R is to remain. So what does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? But let me get you up to speed because we've been working through the book of Judges and today's kind of a special one uh, where I get to speak to you from the book of Acts. But where Paul is, is he's, he's already gone through and done his missionary journeys, but now he is in prison. Now, he was one of the prominent missionaries in the early church seeing and bringing thousands and thousands of people to faith as God worked through hardships, trials, stoning and now imprisonment, and he's been stuck. Now, he makes an appeal to Rome uh, in prison so that he can make and his defense. But he's already, he hasn't really been charged yet. He's in prison, and the governors of the day in that region have already said, well, we don't find any fault in you. But because they liked the Jewish people, and the Jewish people didn't like Paul, they kept him in prison. But he's still yet to make his full defense. And this is where we start the story in Acts chapter 27. So you can follow along with him. I'm going to tell you that story. And you can go away and read it afterwards if you want. But I want you to feel what is happening. And I want you to think about this question. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? So here's the story. Well, when it was decided that they would kind of sail to Rome... Uh, they, uh, they, he gets put under the charge of a, a Roman guard who's under a centurion, a high like soldier, who's part of the imperial regiment. Uh, his name was Julius. And they end up boarding a ship and they sail the coast. Now, this Julius favoured Paul and he kind of let him, as they re- went from Caesarea to Sidon, they, he let Paul go and be met up with some friends who catered for his needs and cared for him. But then they, they put out to sea again and they passed through the least windy bit of Cyprus. But the winds were against him. 
When they sailed across the open sea, they were trying to get to a place called Myra. And they made such slow headway for so many days that they had such great difficulty getting from Myra to Sinaitis. That's the wind drove them along and they had to go to Fair Havens. So much time had been lost and it was getting so dangerous because this was the middle of winter. And nobody travels in the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of winter. We lived on the Mediterranean and it's cold and it's blistering in terms of its wind. But in ancient times, nobody traveled really on those waters. And Paul, he warns them and he says to them, can't you see that this is going to be dangerous for us? It's probably going to, we're probably going to lose our cargo and maybe even our lives as well. But Julius, instead of listening to Paul, he follows the advice of the ship owner uh, and the captain of the ship. And because Fair Havens really wasn't a place that you kind of spent three months in, they decide that they're going to try and get to Phoenix on the other side of Crete. So when a gentle south wind starts to blow, they see that as their opportunity. And they get back on the ship and they try to head to Rome. Not long into that trip, a hurricane comes and a hurricane force wind blows them so much that they're not able and they just uh, to, to move. They're caught in this storm and they couldn't go along with the wind anymore. And so they just gave way to it and were driven along. Not long into that particular trip, the lifeboat that was at the back of their main boat was just blowing and swaying. And so they decide to pull the lifeboat onto the big ship. And they... They decide to wrap the boat with ropes because they were afraid that they were just going to be smashed upon the rocks near Libya. They took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they start throwing all their cargo overboard. Three days in, they decide they're going to throw all the equipment that used to take the cargo on board into the sea. They lost all sense of navigation. There was no sun. There were no stars. And the storm continued to just rage around them. At that point, they gave up all hope that they were going to be saved. They went for such a long time without food. And Paul decides to get up and he says to them, I told you, I told you that we shouldn't have, have set sail from Crete. Then we would have spared ourselves this damage and this loss. But I want to encourage you now to be courageous because not one of your Lives will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. Because you know what? Last night an angel of God stood beside me. Angel of God to the God whom I serve and who I belong to. 
And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to go and face trial in Rome. And not one of the lives of the people that are with you will be lost. So be encouraged, guys. Take courage. Because I have faith in God that this, what he, the angel of God told me, will happen. But we're going to have to shipwreck somewhere. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? You know, with this particular story, right, the question that comes to mind isn't that particular question. The question that comes to mind for me is why did he have to go through the storm in the first place? Why couldn't Paul just leave six months later when the Mediterranean Sea is beautiful and you're able to imagine like Santorini with the, the beautiful, pristine, clear waters when it's just sunny and nice? Why not sail when all the other ships are sailing? Why couldn't God keep him two and a half years in prison? Why travel at this time? And even for us, the questions that we might have, like why did I have to go through a miscarriage? Why did you allow my wife to leave me? Why did I have to lose my job? Why did I have to go through the childhood and the pain that I've had to go through? Why do I have to lose my friend? Why do I have to face death? Why did I have to get that diagnosis? Why do I have to go through these storms of life? It's confusing, isn't it? Because if God is the God of the universe, then why does he allow us to face these storms? The story that we're looking at today actually doesn't answer that question. There are other parts of the Bible that do talk about that question and may give us some answers and does give us some answers. Uh, but I don't really have time to necessarily go fully into that today. But what is comforting for me in this story is that there is a storm. And that God is present with Paul in that storm. God has not abandoned his people. In the whole book of Acts, as the disciples faced hardships and challenges and persecution, imprisonment, stoning, being misunderstood, falsely accused, hardship and pain, a thorn in his side, is that in the midst of that storm, God is with them. And God has not left you in the midst of that storm. And he is present with you in your hardships and your pain. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? Remember. Remember that God is with us 
present with us in that storm. And secondly, he asks us to respond. So what does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? Remember. Remember that he is with us. And second, respond. Let me keep telling you this particular story. So 14 nights had gone by and they were still being driven along in the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of the hurricane. And on that 14th day, they, the sailors start to feel like they're, they've got this sixth sense maybe, you know, and they realize that, oh, you know, we're about to, to hit the shore somewhere. And so they take soundings. They work out like with a piece of rope and, and the weight and they try to work out how deep the water is. And it's probably about 30 meters deep. And so not long after that, they start taking other soundings and they realize like that they're 20 meters deep. And they were so afraid that they were going to get smashed upon the rocks that they decided to drop four anchors from the back of the ship and they just prayed for daylight. But in an attempt to sort of escape from the ship, the sailors, they go to the front of the boat and they start lowering the lifeboat into the water, pretending that it was an anchor that they were lowering down. And then Paul, he goes and says to Julius, the centurion and the soldiers, he says, unless those guys stay on the ship, none of us will be saved. And so the soldiers, they go to the front of the ship and they cut the rope for the lifeboat and let it drift away. That's the only way they're going to get to shore safely. A lifeboat is the, only, the boat where when the big ship is out like on the coast, they get in the lifeboat and they, they, they row to shore. But the only other way they're going to get to shore now is either if the ship crashes along a coast somewhere or if they swim in the cold Mediterranean water. When the sun was about to get up in the morning, Paul gets up and he says to them, 14 days, guys, we have been in this constant suspense in the middle of this hurricane without food. You haven't eaten anything. I want to encourage you now just to eat something. Eat something now. You're going to need it to survive. But none of you will lose even a single hair from your head. After Paul had said this, they took some bread. They gave thanks. He gave thanks to God in front of all of them. And then he broke it and he began to eat. And they began to eat. And they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. 276 people on board ate and were encouraged. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they tried to lighten the ship as much as they could. So they threw all the rest of the food overboard. Now when the sun got up, 
They saw land. They, couldn't, they didn't recognize what the land was. They didn't know where it was. Um, but they saw a sandy beach. And they thought, you know what? We're going to try and make way for the beach. So they, they untied all the ropes from the rudder as well as the ship. And they made headway. They put up the sail and they made headway to that beach. When, as they were getting towards that beach, they, the front of the ship hits a sandbank out from the water, out, like out from the land. And the back of the ship just gets pounded by these waves and smashed. And the soldiers, at this point, they think, oh, you know what? We can't let the, 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 the prisoners escape. So they make a plan to try and kill all the prisoners. But Julius, who favored Paul, liked Paul, didn't want that to happen. So he convinces them that people just need to swim to shore or they take whatever they can, planks of wood or whatever they could find and make their way to the beach in the freezing Mediterranean waters. But that's how 276 passengers got onto shore safely. When they were safely on shore, um, they find out from the people on the island that this island is called Malta, where we landed. And the islanders there, they showed unusual kindness to Paul and hospitality to Paul and the prisoners. They decided to build a fire to welcome them uh, because it was still raining and it was still freezing cold and they probably just came from the water as well, so they're freezing cold. As Paul is gathering some wood um, to put on the fire, a snake is driven out by the heat and latches onto his hand. And when the Maltese people saw this, a snake hang from his hand, they go, oh, this guy must be a murderer because even though he escaped the sea... The, the goddess justice who we believe in hasn't even showed him favor and he's going to die. But Paul, in true Pauline fashion, decides to sort of shake the snake into the fire and the islanders wait for him to curl up and die, but he doesn't. And so they decide that actually he's not like a murderer, he's actually a god, um, which is pretty crazy. And there was kind of like an estate nearby belonging to the Roman governor who was overlooking the island. Uh, and he welcomes them in. And actually, his father was sick. Uh, he had bloody diarrhea, uh, maybe a result of food or bad water, uh, and probably going to die. Paul goes in and sees him. And after praying for him, he puts his hand on him and he gets healed. And the Maltese, they honoured Paul and the other prisoners and the soldiers in so many ways. And then when, th when three months were up and they were ready to set sail, they were supplied with everything they needed and they made their way to Rome. And that's the end of that part of the story. So 14 days without food, on a boat that is struggling to stay afloat, in the middle of a hurricane, on the freezing Mediterranean waters, fearing death, threatened with abandonment, to end up shipwrecked, needing to swim in the water, to build a fire on the beach of Malta and have a snake bite you. Paul goes through all of that 
but yet his trust is still in God. His faith in God's promises, even in the midst of hardship. It's probably why in 2 Corinthians 16, Paul says, Therefore I don't lose heart. Though outwardly I am wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, that does not sound light and momentary for me, are achieving for us an eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. So, what's Paul's hope? We fix our eyes on what is seen, not, not on what is seen but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God's promise to us is that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will be with us to the very end of the age, that he will guide us, that when we face trials in this life, we don't have a hope here on this earth. We have an eternal hope that will never perish, spoil or fade because our trust is in Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us certainty in this life and the life to come. So that no matter what we go through here, all of it's temporary. Because we have an eternal hope. My question for us is this. As SWEC, as church, we know that these last few weeks have been hard. The last few years have been hard for the world. In the midst of difficult seasons is our trust in God? Or do we go back to our own comforts, our own securities, to the things that are present to give us temporary satisfaction so that we might block away pain? Or do we find our hope in the only one who can give us hope? Is your faith there? I'm not saying it's easy. It's really hard. It's really hard when we're going through difficult seasons to see that God is good and he's with us. But we have a God who has given us an eternal hope. So hold on to that. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? He asks us to respond in trust. Because he is our hope. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? Remember that he is with us in the midst of the storm. Respond in trust that he is our hope. And lastly, remain. Let me tell you the last bit of that story in summary. 
They put out uh, to Rome. They, they move along the different places with great ease. The wind is not against them. The wind is for them. And they end up heading to Rome. Paul actually is tended to and cared for by other believers who have come to see him, know he's in the region and want to encourage him. He ends up going to Rome. And the first thing he gets put in the house and the first thing he does is he invites the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders to come and he speaks to them about the gospel. He tells them that Jesus is the one that's meant to come. But then he rebukes them by saying that the Gentiles, because you don't want to believe, the Gentiles will have salvation and they will listen. Some of them follow and some of them don't. But at the end of the book of Acts, Paul says to them, well, Paul, no, Paul, the, the end of the book of Acts, it says that even though he was imprisoned, that the gospel went out with all courage and without being hindered. That the gospel continued to go out. And that's the end of the book of Acts and the story of Acts. Paul finally reaches Rome after two or three years in prison. And yet his desire is that the gospel continue to go out. Ian Blakelock, uh, the late professor of classics at Auckland University, he used to say this about the book of Acts. He said, To press beyond the fringe is always sound policy, provided it's done with vigor and devotion. And he sums up his major lesson in his commentary on the book of Acts as this. Acts is calling us to always press beyond the fringes. It doesn't matter whether it's the next house, the next street, the next suburb, the next village, the next city. God's purpose is that is always that the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. And I think it's so significant that at the end of the book of Acts, it says that the gospel went out unhindered, that nothing can stop it. We've seen in the whole book of Acts, God's word, and this message will keep going out. And Paul is just one of those faithful witnesses who even through hardship, suffering, pain, shipwreck, snakebite, stoning, constant suspense and threat of death, the gospel continues to go out. It's a challenge to us to consider what it looks like for us to continue to take the gospel beyond the fringes. Who are you reaching to? Who are you sharing with? Who are you partnering with around the world to see the gospel, to go out in places like East Asia, in Indonesia, in North Africa, in Europe.
How can we be involved continually in what God is asking us to do? To see people have a hope and a salvation that will be eternal. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? He asks us to remain the course. To remain the course that he set for us. To share the gospel with the world. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? Remember. Remember that God is with us in the midst of that storm. Keep responding in trust. Because we have a hope that will last. And lastly, remain the course that he set for us to share the gospel with the world. Even in the midst of our pain and our suffering, in those moments of weakness, show others that God is still your hope. Put that into practice now. Especially if you're here and life is okay. Don't let hard circumstances in your life be the only time you turn back to him. What does God ask us to do when we go through the storms of life? Remember, respond, and remain the course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to pray for those here in a congregation who might be hurting, who might be questioning, who might be asking, God, what are you doing? I pray, Lord, that in this moment that you will be with them, that you will show that you are present in their struggle, I pray, Lord, that you remind them of your word, that you are with them even in their trial, that you haven't left them, that you haven't forsaken them. I pray for us that we would continue to to trust in you, that we would run after you, And that even in hard and difficult times, we will continue to live out the hope that you've given us. And that we will show that to others, even in the midst of our tears. So I pray this in your name. Amen.